turn with me to the book of James. Book of James will read verse 16 to 18 of chapter 1. And we use that portion of scriptures, we'll meditate on it as we prepare our hearts to break bread and drink of the cup. James chapter 1, I commence reading from verse 16. Do not be deceived, my dear, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We continue in our journey through the book of James. And this afternoon, as I've said, we come to verse 18 through uh, verse 16 through to verse 18 of chapter 1. Two weeks ago, when I was preaching, we considered verses 15 through to verse 18. And we learned in that portion of scriptures that true faith does not blame God for temptation. True faith does not blame God for temptation. And we learned that no one should assume that enticement to sin comes from God. And so temptation that leads to sin, we must not assume that it comes from God. And what James was teaching us, as we saw, is that before we even entertain the thought that God is tempting me to sin, we first of all need to pause and ask ourselves some questions. Who is this God that I'm accusing of leading me to sin? What does he say about himself in the scriptures? And what is it that I know about this God? And once we pause to do that, we'll re our hearts will slowly melt away and will not even entertain the thought that God is leading me or enticing me to sin against him. This afternoon we come to verse 16 through to verse 18. And here we see that true faith affirms God's sovereign goodness. True faith affirms God's sovereign goodness. We live in a world of con men. The con men abound in this world of ours, in this evil world of ours. Not just in the financial realm, but also in the spiritual realm. Satan masquerades as the angel of light. He's a master deceiver. His false prophets masquerade themselves as angels of light. The Bible does tell us that the devil is the father of lies. And so, 
the devil and his false prophets, they, they promise a people answers to their deepest struggles, their deepest problems, but they actually lure them into spiritual destruction. Believers going through trials are vulnerable to these spiritual conmen. When you're going through trials, you become vulnerable. Vulnerable to these spiritual conmen. And that's why you see that they, 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 they prey on those who do not know the scriptures or those who are going through trials. And because you are going through trials, they promise that they can help you in those trials. And they say something that resonates with what you are going through. And you become vulnerable. Believers become vulnerable, especially when they are going through trials. Now, James is telling us that to avoid being deceived, when you are going through trials, you must affirm by faith God's sovereign goodness. You must affirm by faith God's sovereign goodness, and it will help you to avoid being vulnerable to these spiritual con men. So let's open up those verses and draw some lessons this afternoon. The first thing I'd like us to see is that true faith supports God's sovereign goodness. True faith supports God's sovereign goodness. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And then he goes on in verse 17 and verse 18. Now James is saying that true faith defends God's sovereign goodness. It defends God's sovereign goodness. In verse 16, James issues a firm warning. And as he's writing to believers, he issued this firm warning and he says, do not be deceived my beloved brothers. Now this verse, verse 16, is a link between what James has said in verse 13 through to verse 15, and then what he says in verse 17 through to verse 18. And so this verse is, is a link between what he has been addressing and now what he is going to address. And in verse 17 and 18, he basically shows us the character of God. And then both ideas are carefully joined by verse 16. And he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And, and James is showing us this, this, that there is a subtle connection between misunderstanding God's ways and accusing God's character. He said there is a subtle connection between misunderstanding God's ways and accusing God's character. And that's why you see when we began in verse 13 to 15 two weeks ago, he was basically saying, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
And James is saying, when you misunderstand God's ways, you cannot begin to accuse him that there is something wrong with his character. And he's showing us that there is a subtle connection. And that's why he says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And so James issues a word of caution and that word of caution is followed with a, uh, a word of fondness, a word of endearment. And he's saying, do not be deceived. That's a word of caution. And then the word of endearment or the word of fondness is, my beloved brothers. And so James balances both the, the sharpness and the tenderness as he issues this warning. He, remind, he recognizes that he's writing to his fellow Christians and as he wants to issue this same warning, he also wants the recipients to know that they are beloved to him. And the reason why he's going through all this trouble to warn them is because that they are dear to him. They are beloved and they have a special place in his life. And so he addresses them with love, and also he addresses them with caution. Now the Greek word that James uses, the word do not be deceived, the word deceive, that verb means to stray or wander away from the truth, or from safety to stray or to wander away from the truth or from safety now it is as he's speaking he he picture it's it's a picture language and the picture that he has in mind is like one who's on a journey and then is led astray and loses his way so that he does not reach his destination. Or it is a picture of a sheep that wanders off from the shepherd and become lost and prone to danger. Or it can easily become prey to wild animals. And so when James is saying do not be deceived, he's literally saying stop being deceived. Stop being deceived. And his concern is that believers were drifting away from the truth. They were drifting from the truth. And it was not, it was not just a simple failure of judgment, but it was a settled direction in a wrong way. So it's not like they've Someone has just misjudged the situation. No. It's like he was making a step or taking a step in a wrong direction and wandering away from the truth. And so he issues this commandment and he says, stop that step in that direction. Stop being deceived. Don't fall into the trap of the evil one. Remember when he began this book, we say he's writing to people that have been dispersed and they're going through trials and some of them 
because of that displacement, they would have left their goods behind. And now they're in a foreign land. They have to work or they have to look for employment in order to survive or something to do. And so it is very possible that some of them began to entertain the lies of the evil one. That if your God is good, why doesn't he just stop what you're going through? If your God is so good as you claim, if he's omnipotent, why has he allowed you to be scattered? And James reminds them that God is both good and sovereign. He never sends anything evil into the lives of those that he loves. He only gives good gifts. And so James is saying, stop being deceived. Stop being deceived. Now, whenever, whenever the Bible says, do not be deceived, you sort of need to, to sit up and pay attention. Because this is an area where the enemy can easily deceive you, can easily fake you out. And so when James is saying, stop being deceived, He's basically saying when you're going through trials, listen to the voice of God and not those myriad of voices that are issuing contrary commands or ideas or suggestions than what the Bible says. And so when we see, do not be deceived, it's basically a call for us that pay particular attention to what is being said because it is this area that you can easily become vulnerable to the treats of the evil one. Think of it this way. When, for those of us who are in Osaka, when you go to Soweto market, you already know that the nature of a place, there will be those who want to steal anything they can lay hands on. And if you are a visitor, you are told, be careful when you go to Soweto. Don't fall into the trap of those people, cowboys that you find out there. Or those who are in Kitwe, the famous market is the Chisokone market. And so anyone who's new, I remember I grew up in Kitwe, and growing up in Kitwe, we always used to tease those guys who came from Lusaka that will just take you to Chisokone Market, you'll get lost. And then they'll steal from you. And so that was the way of threatening guys uh, from Lusaka. But the point is this. If you're at Soweto or Chisokone Market, and you've been told that there are pickpockets, there are guys that snatch things, you become careful. You don't go with your phone here, with money in your hands. You don't move carelessly. Just that warning. And when you get to the environment, when you get to the market, that warning causes you to be alert. Because now you realize that what I was being told can actually happen. I can be robbed. I can lose my goods. 
I can even be sold rotten things. And so you are on your guard. You guard your, your goods. You are alert. You don't want to lose anything. And this is exactly what James is saying. That when you face a trial, a difficult trial, be alert to the deception of the evil one. Be alert to the tricks of the evil one. And one way to do that is for you to defend God's sovereign goodness even in that state. It's for you to remind yourself that God is God. So we see that true faith supports God's sovereign goodness. It defends the, the goodness of God. Secondly, we see that true faith states God's sovereign goodness. It states God's sovereign goodness. Or to use another word, it declares God's sovereign goodness. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so James is really saying, True faith states the goodness of God. It declares the goodness of God. God is the source of all that is good. And James is saying to us, or James writes, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And the word there, every, is very forceful. James wants us to know that everything you think as being good, everything you think as being perfect, is from God. Nothing that is not good, nothing that is not perfect is from God. There are two Greek words that James uses in this verse that speaks of good and perfect, but they are both translated as gifts. There is no significant difference uh, in, 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 the, in the words the good thing and the perfect gift. The nuances are the same. The root word gives us the idea of a gift but what James is really saying is that this term perfect and good, yes, they, they are used, they are synonyms, but the nuances in Greek teaches us that the goodness of God is seen in God's act of giving and then the perfectness of God is seen in the nature 
of his gifts. So one is really in the act of giving. God is good in his giving. And then he's perfect in the nature of the gifts that he gives. And so really the idea that James is trying to help us see is that God's giving and even what he gives, it's good and it's perfect. No one can improve upon it. And you also see that James uses the word perfect. I think the word perfect is his favorite word when you read the, the book of James. He used it twice in, in verse 4. When he talks about, and let endurance as perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then, so verse 17, as you use the word perfect, ties back to verse 2 through to verse 4. And the idea that is really driving at is this, that one of God's perfect gifts is when you persevere in them. And as you persevere in them, that perseverance produces maturity. And so when trials come your way, and as you persevere in those trials, one of God's good gifts to you is that you mature in your work with him. And he shows us that true faith states the goodness of God. It states the goodness of God. And so James casts our minds that these good and perfect gifts that God gives come along with all many other good things that God gives us to enjoy. The taste of food, the love of our families, the beauty of his creation, and every wonderful experience in life, all these good things come to us from a God whose very nature is goodness. And so James states that all good things we experience come down from the Father of lights and with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. And this is the only time that God is called the Father of light. And it refers to the fact that he created light and all the heavenly bodies of light. All the heavenly bodies that give off light. God created them. And the word variation, again, only, is only used here in the New Testament. It donates the, the constant change of those heavenly bodies. Those heavenly bodies that God created, the moon, the stars, the sun, they change every day. But the one who created them does not change. 
and gems is showing us that those that the, the good things he's referring to come from the father of light the one who created all the heavenly bodies that gives us light while they may change while they do change the creator does not change and so when james is saying to us that god is the father of lights and there is no variation or no shifting shadow he he is drawing a comparison between the things God has created like the sun and he's saying the sun does change there are times when you don't see the sun there are times when the, the sun is, is hiding behind the clouds but not with God he's ever there his, his nature does not change the, the, the son does not change in his, his in essential nature. God does not change as well. The son's nature is to give light. And God's nature does not change. His nature is goodness and he does not change. And so James is stressing that while you may not always have the sun out, there will be times when the sun is out of view. There will be times when you cannot see the stars. There will be times when you cannot see the moon. Don't think that that is the same with God. He's always there. His nature, his purpose towards his children are unchanging. They are steady and unchanging. And therefore you can trust him all the times in every situation including in those difficult trials that you might be going through he does not change because he's a God who does not change and so James is saying to us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of light with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change and as we understand the nature of God and the fact that it does not change we must also define good gifts according to God's eternal wise perspective and plan. Goodness must not be based on what you think is good or the way you define what good is. These good gifts, these perfect gifts must be defined from God's eternal wise perspective and plan. Not from our short-sightedness not from our own temporal point of view, not from our own sinful desire or sinful view. It must be from God's perspective. And everything that is good works in line with God's ultimate purpose for this earth. The glorification of his own name. 
in the book of Amos and chapter 3 and verse 6, particularly the last half of verse 6, Amos chapter 3 verse 6, the prophet asks the question, if calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? If calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? And according to the prophet Amos, he recognizes that everything that saves the purpose of God, everything, whatever trial, temptation that does not lead us to sin against God is from God. It is for our good. It's there to save a purpose. And therefore, it must be good. It may be painful at that particular moment, but it must be good. The case of Job that we all know, although it was certain that attacked Job directly. He had to get the permission of God. And God even set the, the boundaries and the limits of how far he can go to disturb Job's life. The Apostle Paul, you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, when he was given a thorn in the flesh, later on he had to recognize that the thorn in the flesh was a cause for rejoicing because it kept him in humble dependency on God. And so, when you talk of the good gifts that God sends our way, we must always look at those from God's perspective. Even the most severe or extremely difficult trial, it must be looked from God's perspective said, Lord, what do you want me to learn in this case? And as I do so, let me declare your goodness for all to see that there is a God who lives. In Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse 67 and 68 the psalmist says Psalm 119 verse 67 and 68 before I was afflicted I went astray but now I keep your word you are good and you do good teach me your statutes before I was afflicted I went astray but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. 
The psalmist is recognizing that before God afflicted me, it was easy for me to go astray. But having been afflicted, it brought me back to this realization that God is good and therefore I will state the goodness of God and I'll ask that God you teach me your ways. Therefore, the lesson for all of us is this. The goodness of God cannot be blocked by anything that changes. It cannot be blocked by anything that changes. And understanding God's attributes as revealed in the scriptures are essential for your spiritual well-being. Understanding the attributes of God as revealed in the scriptures they are essential for your spiritual well-being, for my spiritual well-being. And we must interpret our circumstances in light of God's attributes. And as we do so, it is essential for our own spiritual welfare. We must not interpret, interpret God's attributes in isolation. We must look at these attributes. What does God say said about himself in the scriptures and as we view each situation we interpret it in light of what God says about himself and it will bring us to this conclusion of the psalmist God is good and I will declare his goodness for all to see even in my affliction and the third thing we see here is that true faith shows God's sovereign goodness. True faith shows God's sovereign goodness. Verse, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What James is saying to us is that true faith demonstrates God's sovereign goodness. It shows God's sovereign goodness. True faith affirms God's sovereign goodness. And James takes us back to our own salvation. And he says, if you want to see how God showed his love, showed his goodness, it is in your salvation. He demonstrated his goodness. And that's why James says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. James is saying to us that he, 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 don't be overtaken with your affliction. Don't be overtaken with your trials that you miss the gift of salvation which is the, the climax of God's goodness. God showed his goodness by giving us his son. And James is able to say of his own will he brought us forth 
and he specifies the ultimate gift God bestows on all of us or on his children. It is him giving us his son to die for our sins. He shows us that he sacrificed his son to demonstrate his goodness to you. And so the phrase of his own will, he brought us forth. James is basically saying that God saves us by a deliberate act of his sovereign grace. He saves us by this deliberate act of his sovereign grace. And when he speaks of, he brought forth the idea that James is speaking of is he speaks of something that has happened once and for all. It's not something that God will repeat or will continue to repeat. No. The way that James speaks is that of his own will, he brought us forth. He's done it. He will not repeat what he's done. And that's how James is able to say that this ultimate goodness is our salvation. Christ is not going to die again. He's died once and for all for God to show his goodness for all of us. And he's emphasizing there our new birth. It is God's will that we should be saved. And our salvation shows us the ultimate goodness of God. And then James links that by saying, by the word of truth. And again showing us that how do we know about salvation is by the revealed word, the word of truth. And how are you going to know the goodness of God? The word of truth. And there is, he affirms the supremacy of the word of God and the testimony that the word of God gives of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to show so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Salvation is for the glory of God. When he saves us, we are like the first fruits of the work of God. We are given the first place and we are commanded to give ourselves to God in appreciation of his salvation. Therefore, when we think of our salvation, we must think of God demonstrating his goodness to us. And the challenge that we are all given is that those of us who claim to be Christians, 
We must be able to show the goodness of God in our own lives to others. We must be channels through whom God can radiate his own salvation, his, his work of salvation to others. We must be channels that show that we serve a God who is good. And my life is a trophy of God's amazing goodness. And therefore, as I respond to my neighbors, as I respond to my brothers and sisters, it's because I've come to appreciate the goodness of God. And anything I do, any service in church, any contributions I make, even my own financial giving to the work of God, to the work of missions, is simply a demonstration of the goodness I'm enjoying from God. And therefore, I want the world to see that my God is good. And he's not just good, he is sovereignly good. must demonstrate that. William Tyndale, in one of his works, wrote and I quote, God's goodness is the root of all goodness and our goodness. God's goodness is the root of all goodness and our goodness. If we have any springs out of his goodness, rather, if we have any goodness, it springs out of his goodness. God's goodness is the root of all goodness and our goodness. If we have any goodness, it springs out of God's goodness. The question I want us to wrestle with as we come to the end and then transition to the breaking of bread. God has demonstrated his goodness. He's shown us his goodness by giving us his son. How are you showing God's goodness to a world living in sin? How are you showing God's goodness to a world living in sin? True faith shows God's goodness. It demonstrates this goodness. God did not just show his goodness in words. He demonstrated his goodness and he gave his son Jesus Christ. And all of us who are his first fruits of salvation must strive to live like our God. And we must show forth his goodness in a world living in sin. And the best time to do that is when we are going through trials. Your faith must respond and affirm God's sovereign goodness. And as the world see that, may they be pointed to the source of goodness, God himself. And so as we come to break the bread and drink of the cup, 
Let it remind you of God's goodness. Christ died for our sins and he demonstrated the goodness of the Father. And now we who have come to believe him by faith who are being told you now must be channels, armies, colonies showing God's goodness. Let the world that our God is God. And in those moments when you doubt God's goodness, remember, it's not because God has changed. It's because you've moved away from God. Let me end with this. A story is told of an old couple and as they were driving together, they, they were pondering about the early days of their marriage relationships. Marriage relationship. And so the wife said to her husband, do you remember when we used to sit so close that people couldn't even tell which one of us was driving? Why aren't we close like that anymore? Her husband replied, I don't know, but I haven't moved. I'm still in the same place. If God seems far away, guess who's moved? It's not God. It is you. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that we serve a God who is good. And this goodness has been shown to us in the death of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, when we go through trials, we fail to affirm your goodness. We question your goodness. We doubt your goodness. The book of James has reminded us that we must not be deceived by, by the schemes of the evil one. We should not be deceived by those who are masquerading as angels of light. May you bring us to your word and remind us and remind us of your goodness shown to us in Christ. Lord forgive us of the times we've sinned against you, especially when in trial and you've thought you've abandoned us. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit in us uh, to affirm your goodness and to show the world that truly we save a living God.